trying to create a lesson that is meaningful for everyone in the family can be really frustrating. With a baby who cries when she's not being held, a toddler who won't hold still, kindergartner and seven-year-old who's on the precipice of knowing it already, finding something that will hold the attention of everyone is practically impossible. In today's episode, we will explore the learning styles of different age groups. By understanding the general learning styles for children as they grow, we can better tailor your lessons to fit their natural learning modes. Then, we'll show you how to create a lesson that encompasses all of these learning styles by using real Come Follow Me lesson from this month's friend. We illustrate how simple it can be to make adaptations that will include everyone. Our hope is that you will walk away from this episode with a better understanding of how children learn and how to use those learning styles to engage them in your own family's lessons. Welcome to the My Teaching Matters podcast, where our mission is to help you, the intentional parent, to teach your children in such a way that they can personally experience the power of Jesus Christ while still at home. Welcome, everybody. My name is Lindsay Jensen, and I'm here with my mom and co-host, Leslie Johnson. Hi, everybody. Mom, what's the question we want to explore today? Today, I want to explore the question, how do I engage my whole family when I have a variety of ages? Well, that's I think such that a good this, question. <laughs> I think there's a lot of you young mothers who are dealing with this, because as your family grows, um, you you don't have all the same age and you have a unique situation where you've got to um, figure out how to engage your 10-year-old as well as your two-year-old. And they're very, very different um, personalities and very different learning styles. And so it can be a little bit tricky. So I thought that it would be kind of fun to discuss how we can kind of make that happen to the best of our abilities. Not that it could ever be perfect, but but there are some few tips that we can put into place that can help. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, yeah, I hear this question a lot on different Facebook groups or from other people as I'm starting to get a little bit older. My kids are starting to get a little bit older. Um, it's becoming a bigger deal. So what um, what have you learned? What are some of your tips? Well, um, in my training as a speech pathologist, I was trained in language and cognitive development. So I learned how kids learn, basically, and at what ages they learn what. And um, I became aware and I became t- able to understand how children learn um, in general, and then how, you know, a little bit more specifically about maybe each child in as as they grow. But some of the things that I understood that I think that I come, came to understand that I think I could share with our listeners is that young children, like from zero to three, um, learn most exclusively by interacting with their world and the environment that they live in. They learn through play, they learn through exploring, they learn through experimenting. Um, you all know that you're, some toddlers are just into everything. It's because they're just learning, they're exploring the world around them. Um, for young babies, you have the baby that's going to drop their spoon on the floor time and time again, or they want to know what happens when they push a button. Um, their language at this age is just starting to develop, but 
it's usually focused on what's happening in the present, the here and now. Um, they're beginning to label objects and be able to say, you know, one or two word sentences. And so their language is still pretty, um, pretty minor part of their learning at this point. As they grow, um, now we're looking like from as... Well, know, let me stop you one second, Mom. I think that that's actually a really important point, that the way that they learn is not through language, right? It's not, right. you can't expect them to listen and, um, anyway, to learn from you talking at them. Like that's, anyway, I just think that's a really interesting point and it makes so much sense when you say it. But then if you think about it, because as an adult, so much of our learning happens through language. Um, well, and we've kind of been trained that to, when we teach, we sit down and we talk to them, right? You know, that's kind of how our lessons have been taught for years and years. That's how we learned was by sitting down and sitting quiet and listening to somebody tell us something. And um, that doesn't work for your young toddlers. That just, that's not how they learn. And so if you really want to teach them, you have to teach them in the manner that they learn. And that's through their environment. That's through their bodies, so That's it's, it's mm -hmm. yeah, okay. important to think about that. No, I like that point. Um, Go ahead. So when they get older, between about four and seven, what happens? Yeah. So now they're starting to, to develop language. They're starting to transition from learning about their physical world to beginning to learn a little bit more about ideas and concepts. And you'll notice that this is the time when they start asking a lot of questions. Why, mom? Why? Why do I have to do that? Why, mom? And to the point that they can drive you crazy, but it's because, it's because they're learning and they just want to understand what's going on around them. Um, but again, at this stage, um, their attention span is still um, quite short, and they still like to do um, a lot of learning by interacting with the world, by using their bodies and by interacting with their with their bodies. So um, they're not completely able to sit still for very long and and really pay attention to to words. Um, but they start can start answering questions and start thinking about concepts that aren't necessarily right there in front of them. Um, by the time they're about eight, eight and older, most of their learning is now centered around thinking and talking. And they can talk and they can think about ideas, they're thinking about things that are not so literal, um, things that um, could happen in the future, things that might have happened in the past. And that's when you can really start to engage them in conversation and in questions. And so, so, Lindsay, you've got an age range of, you know, you've got a kid in every single one of these age ranges. Maybe you could share with us, you know, what that looks like as we talk about um, kids being able to, you know, understand a little bit, but still like be engaged with their bodies versus, you know, really being able to understand language for itself. Why don't you share with us some of your experiences? Sure. So, well... So I have, um, my youngest is five months old right now, um, and she has found her feet and likes to suck on her feet. Um, and that's, and she smiles and laughs, right? You can imagine that. There's, there's, um, her learning is very, like, solely physical. Um, I have a three-year-old who, um, maybe here's a good example is that we've been, we've been potty training her for the last while and she's, she can go, but she likes to to wait as long as possible 
Right, and so I've been trying to teach her that when her she starts dancing and wiggling, or when she starts grabbing her bottom, that that means she needs to go potty. And I was trying to tell her, says, you know, when you start wiggling or dancing, then that's your way of bo- your body is trying to tell you that you need to go potty. She says, no. She says, yeah, it is. It's trying to tell you something. No, my body can't talk. It doesn't have a mouth. And she just was. <laughs> That's perfect. That's so literal. You know, that's how a three-year-old thinks, very literally. Yeah, very perfect. And and part of the reason that we even got into this problem was because I would say, Brookie, you need to go potty before you have to go. And she's like, you know, but I realized, like, she doesn't have to go until she's in the process of going. So I was trying to, like... Trying to solve that one problem, and it didn't, anyway, it didn't work. Like, for her, it's very literal, very right now. It's not have anything to do with the future or the past, per se. Um, she's starting to go into that next stage where she is starting to learn a little bit more about future or past. But it's very much centered when she, yeah, when she talks, it's very much in the moment, what's happening mm-hmm. right now. Um, yeah. My five-year-old is, just started kindergarten. Um and she's been a joy to like watch her learn and grow. But it's, um, she can do lots of those things. But I also see that her attention span is not great. Like her compared to my seven-year-old, there's only two years difference. But there's a huge difference in their learning capacity. Um, you know, when I'm sitting there reading them a book that's, you know, particularly like a nonfiction book. Um, my five-year-old will listen for a while. She enjoys parts of it, but but then goes off and plays, you know, halfway through. She just can't pay attention nearly as long as my seven-year-old. Um, and my seven-year-old is getting to be a really fun stage because she is getting really into learning and taking off on her own reading. Or So as we're talking about language development, um, one thing that she did the other day, we were studying space, talking about the planets. And so we had read a book about the planets, then we'd drawn a picture about the planets um, and with the sun and then the different planets. And then we went out at nighttime with my telescope to go look at the planets. And my uh, five-year-old was like, mom, where's the sun? It's like, what do you mean? Where's the sun? It went down. Like, that's why we can see the planets. Anyway, like I, <laughs> she's usually really bright, but for some reason, like you could just tell there's this disconnect between the picture. Like we're looking at Saturn and Jupiter. And there was also the, sun on the picture we drew the sun and we drew the planet so she should be able to see all of it and she was a little bit confused well my seven-year-old picked up on on that and was like mom well where's the earth can we look at the earth and at first i was like wait are you confused too like you're older (laughs) and then i i see this this glint in her eyes and i realized that she's teasing me that she like (laughs) totally understands and not only does she understand she's like harassing me or like anyway it just was kind of fun to like see her develop and like realize that she's not so anyway she's not so little like she understands the nuances of language and of jokes and of different things when she didn't before and it's just it's a fun stage when they can kind of get to that point where language becomes an exciting thing rather than just just communication so those are perfect examples. I mean, so as you as, as you think about all of those different um, stages of learning, and you think, you know, doesn't it help you understand why if you are just sitting down and you're just telling the kids something new that they think you think that they should understand? Do you see why maybe that doesn't work so well for some of your kids? Does that well, kind of make think, sense? Yeah, well, I think particularly 
you know, even though, I mean, I feel like, you know, two years doesn't seem like very long, but it's a really long time between each of those ages, between seven and five and three and baby is like mm-hmm. a huge gap. And I can imagine that if I had older kids, a nine or a 10 year old, that would be still very, very different. Um, and so I think the question goes back to how do you engage all of them? So this, this conversation that we've had is kind of helpful, I think, in realizing how we can engage each individual age group, right? The younger groups, you have to be, you know, use their bodies, keep things very literal. Um, as they get older, you can start to explore more concepts. But the question still remains, mom, how do you do all of them at the same time? Because they're so different. Well, that is what we want to explore today. But but I think in order to do that, you kind of had to understand each of those stages so that you can think about how you can incorporate each learning style into your lessons. So let me just start by saying the most important thing that you can do is when you are creating a, a lesson for your family, the first thing that you need to do is to to know your objective. What is it that you are trying to teach? Are you trying to teach these kids to sit still or are you trying to teach them a principle of the gospel? So let me just illustrate that with a, a little story that I have. Um, when I was um, doing my graduate work as a speech pathologist, we had to do so many hours of practicum work. And so I was working with this one child. She was about three maybe close to four, but we were working on her learning to say the letter B. And so I had made this great activity where we were going to make a paper puppet, um, a bumblebee out of this this um, paper sack. And I had cut out strips of yellow and black paper. We were going to put the stripes on there and the antennas and the smiley face. And each time she said, a B word correctly, then she would get to put on a new stripe for the bumblebee. And um, in my training, I thought this should be really age appropriate. This is, you know, keeping her body engaged. She gets to do a little bit of something fun while we are practicing saying B. And um, when we got in there, she was not interested in gluing pieces of paper to a paper sack. That was just not going to hold her attention. And um, and I'm like, you know what? I've planned this. I've got this ready. I took all this time. You know, what am I going to do? She's just not interested in this. And, and I quickly just thought, you know what? My goal is to get her to say five B words correctly before she does something. And she really wanted to go in the corner of this room was a little tykes slide, one of those little plastic slides. And she wanted to play on that slide. So I turned that slide around and I straddled over the top of the slide and I, and she climbed up the, the ladder and was ready to go down. And I says, okay, you tell me B five times and I'll let you go down this slide. And one, two, three, four, five, she said those just off the top of her head. And she did great. I moved and she got to go down the slide and turn, she turns and runs around to the slide and I'm back at the top. Five more times. You've got to tell me five more B words. Anyway, the point of the story was, my objective was for her to practice saying B words. It didn't matter what she did to reinforce that or what activity she wanted to do to try to keep her busy while we practiced. Um, the important objective was 
that she practiced saying these words. And so I had to let go of my idea of doing this craft and instead take advantage of her enthusiasm and her excitement for sliding down the slide. The objective was met. The practice was done. It was a win. So anyway, I think that that's important to recognize, you know, what is it that we're trying to to teach here? What is it we want to have our kids learn? So I like that. I like that example. I think that's an important point. So um, maybe a way to show this is like in my family scripture study, um, you know, my three-year-old will often, you know, is, is part of that, joins us and, and we'll be reading the scriptures and I'll be asking questions and we'll be telling the story and she um, doesn't last as long as my other two, <laughs> right? She starts mm-hmm. singing or she starts getting off her chair and going elsewhere. And we often try to bring her back. But there are also times where if we're having a, a longer scripture study than normal, um, where I will say to myself, you know what? That was great for a three-year-old. I think that she understood our objective is not to have her sit here. Like you said, our objective is for her to learn these stories. And she heard the story about Samuel the Lamanite. So it's okay for her to get down. And if I'm trying to talk to my seven-year-old about maybe some of the more intricacies or what that story means to us, I can have that conversation with my seven-year-old and be okay that, you know what, my three-year-old doesn't need that conversation, but she heard that story and that objective was met. Right? Is that mm-hmm. so maybe an example of, of, of kind of that same paradigm that you're talking about? I love it. Yeah, that's perfect. So you, your objective has to be a little bit different for each one. And so... While you were all together, you you talked about the story of Samuel the Lamanite, and your three-year-old got that, and your seven-year-old got that. But after that, your three-year-old's done. She's got to go run around, and she's got to sing some songs and wiggle her body a little bit, and and that's okay. Um, That was age-appropriate, and so you have to be okay with with letting her her do that. And actually, um, letting her go off and do her own thing actually allows you to concentrate on your older daughter and, and, and... have a little bit more individual time with her on a little bit higher level. So there's nothing wrong with letting some of the younger kids go off after after part of a lesson. So, Lindsay, what I'd like to do actually is, is maybe role play what a lesson might look like for um, our listeners so that they can kind of see maybe how we could do that. Um, so, so what I've got here is um, I have just taken a lesson plan from the children's friend. It's actually for this next week, um, 3rd Nephi 8 through 11. And I found this in the September uh, friend. And um, we're just going to kind of take it and try to talk about how we could maybe make that work for your family from from eight to three, or I guess it's even zero. We'll see what we can do with the baby. <laughs> but um, so this one, this lesson is called Puzzle in the Dark. And um, it says, so there's three bullet points. The first, sing, teach me to walk in the light. The second bullet point says, when Jesus visited the Nephites, he testified that he is the light and the life of the world. So we want to, um, our objective then is to teach that Jesus is the light and the life of the world. And then they have a little activity. So bullet point number three was to turn off the lights and try to put together a puzzle in the dark. Then try again with the lights on. 
How did the light help you? How does Jesus help you? Okay, so that's all there is for you um, for a lesson plan uh, um, in, on this particular subject. So let's talk about how we could maybe make that work for your family. If we start with a song, Teach Me to Walk in the Light, um, think about your oldest child. Um, well, let's think about, let's think about all of them. I'm thinking that if we're going to start our lesson, probably they're kind of, um, the younger kids probably are just kind of all over the place. It seems like trying to gather people together for family home evening was always one of the hardest parts, getting everybody to come and settle down. And so singing a song actually is a great way to, to get them, um, to settle down just a little bit. But at the same time, we want to get rid of some of those wiggles. So this is a great song, Teach Me to Walk in the Light. If we could get um, everybody to walk as they sing the song, Teach Me to Walk in the Light. Um, and everybody's going to be walking around. Um, however, I could see that your oldest daughter might think that that's kind of childish and kind of be silly about that. What would be a way that you think that you could include um, Evelyn, your seven-year-old, in this song where she doesn't have to kind of be silly and walk, march around the room or something? Um, she likes being in charge of things. I think letting her lead the song would be a good work, w way to do that. Um, awesome. Yeah, maybe turning on or off the light when at certain points or... Leading the song works well. She likes to do that. Yeah, okay. So at this point, you yeah, taking advantage of her wanting to lead and wanting to be in charge. So this would be a great time for her to lead the music. So she can lead the music and the rest of the family can march around um, as we sing, Teach Me to Walk in the Light. And maybe even um, when it's talking about Teach Me to Pray to My Father Above, we can fold our arms or different actions that you could do to... To this song. So that way that's engaging our bodies, that's getting the wiggles out, it's letting our oldest one be in charge, kind of involving her in a different way. Okay, after you sing this song, then we've got, um, we can read the scripture, um, 3 Nephi 9, 18, where it talks about, I am the light and the life of the world. Now, that's not going to, you can ask, you know, what does that mean? I would imagine that the younger kids probably can't answer that question. And even your seven-year-old is going to be a little bit abstract. Mm -hmm. So you, so then you can say, you know what? Let's, let's try to sh look at this a different way. Let's have this puzzle here. We're going to put, try to put this puzzle together, but we're going to try to put it together in the dark. Okay. So now, um, I need somebody to turn off the lights. Who's going to help me turn off the lights? Who's going to help me find the puzzle? And see, you're including kids of different ages. So so maybe the older kids want to turn off the light. Little Brookie, who's three, probably would love to go and find a puzzle. Um, so there again, you're using everybody to for in their strengths, whatever their strengths are. You bring the puzzle back together. The lights are off. You try to put it together. Um, obviously, hopefully it's dark enough that they can't see it. <laughs> very well and can't put it together very well. So then you go and you turn the lights on and you see how quickly you can put the puzzle together. 
Okay, so now they've got something that is in the in the present. They just you've just done something, and then you can talk about how did the light help you? Okay, that the light um, is the here and now. That would be something that your four or five year old can understand. How did the light help you? Well, it helped me see the puzzle, so I could put it together. Okay, so there's a there's a concrete. Um, topic that they can talk about. Now you're going to go to the abstract. Now you're going to say, so how does Jesus help you? Just like the light was able to help you put the puzzle together, how can Jesus help you? And and you can explore that idea. Um, that would be a question that your older daughter should be able to answer, but your younger kids might need a little direction, might need a little bit of help or some cues as to how Jesus might be able to help them. Um, so does that kind of give you an idea how you could take an activity like that and use it to involve everybody in the family? Yeah. So when you, when you go through that example, so it's helpful to think about, you know, giving people different jobs that relate to maybe what topic they're at. Um, being okay with focusing on one group, then another kind of splitting up into smaller chunks where, you're focusing on the younger kids or the bigger kids and, and, and finding ways to have the others be somewhat included, but realizing that they're not going to be paying fully attention and that's okay. Um, and, and that's, that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the last part of this then is to realize that your lesson, your sit down lesson, either your come follow me or your family home evening lesson is basically your presentation of theoretical ideas or principles. But you don't have to think that that's the only time that you're going to be presenting these ideas. In a perfect world, what we would want to do is to continue that learning throughout the week with some individual experiences. If you think about how Jesus taught, think about the example of, of Jesus. He would teach to the multitudes. We have... Um, stories teaching or telling us of how he taught the Sermon on the Mount, where he taught about the Beatitudes. We, t we hear many times of him um, teaching the multitudes. But the stories that we most relate to, the stories that are most meaningful, are the stories where he's teaching one-on-one. -on -one. The stories where we see him teaching the woman at the well, or the woman with the issue of blood, or the woman caught in adultery, or the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Those individual stories are much more um, memorable than the theoretical aspects of the Beatitudes. And we need both of them. We need group lessons, but we also need individual teachings. And so... It's important for us to realize that while we have these um, family home evening lessons, the real learning needs to be personal and needs to be individual for each of our children. So um, Douglas D. Holmes, who was recently released as a young men's counselor, spoke in our, our last general conference in a great, a great conference talk. And the thing that he um, talked about, he says, in order to connect the hearts, our hearts with heaven, we need individual experience spiritual experiences. And so that's what we're, we're talking about. We want our kids
kids to have those experiences that are going to draw their hearts closer to God, that are going to allow the Holy Ghost to bear witness and to teach them. And more often than not, that is done on an individual basis. And so if we are thinking that just by doing a weekly lesson that we are teaching our children all that they need to know, we're missing a very important part of our teaching. We need to have those times. We need to have those um, times where we kind of set up what we're going to be learning, but we have to remember to take advantage of those individual learning points. So do you have an example that you could share with us, Lindsay, that might kind of show how you kind of kicked an idea or a principle off with a lesson and then followed up later on on an individual basis? Well, I mean, the one that comes first to mind is um, a couple months ago we were talking about um, testimonies and the need of having our own testimonies. And I asked my children what what they wanted to have a testimony about, what they wanted to know. Um, and so we kicked it off with a lesson and we talked about the importance of testimonies and and then I asked each of my kids what they what they wanted to know. And my, my oldest said she wanted to know if the scriptures were true. No, 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 no. That was what my second one said. That was my five-year-old. My oldest said that uh, she wanted to know if, if Jesus could do miracles. She had a, a staph infection or a bacterial infection on her skin that she wanted to, to get rid of. And she wanted to know if Jesus could still do miracles. And then my, my five-year-old wanted to know if the scriptures were true. And my... Um, my three-year-old honestly didn't, she participated with us, but um, I kind of had to feed her something. I had, I, we said, do you want to know if you're a child of God? And she said yes, and um, that one was, anyway, hers was, was not quite as, she's three, is basically. Uh, her, that was age appropriate. Yeah. That was great. Well, it was. Um, mm-hmm. But, and then throughout the week, like, I was able to talk, you know, so we, we prayed about it. We talked about it. And I had multiple conversations with each of my children throughout that week. Um, with my five-year-old asking her if she was had been praying. Um, and if she had been reading her scriptures saying, you know, God can't tell you if the scriptures are true if you're not actually trying to read them. Um, and she can't even read yet. But she would pull out the picture ones and look at the pictures or look for the word Jesus in her scriptures and would pay attention during family scripture study. Um, and my five or seven-year-old would... She, she had the, the the bacterial infection, and so we were doing all I You know, I told, told her, he says, well, we need to pay attention to what the Holy Ghost is trying to tell you to get rid of this. Um, and we decided that she needed to, to shower more regularly. And so she was showering every day rather than once or twice a week she was before. And she was being very diligent about putting the ointment on. And there was a couple other things she did. And, but um, that was a really powerful experience, but it it got kicked off by the lesson, but the power came throughout the week as they acted on those things and as I was able to talk through it with them. Um, and we've done that since. That was just a, yeah, we try to do that more often. Re- recently, we've been talking, in the war chapters, we were talking about different battles that we faced. And, you know, one of my children faced the, um, the struggling to be kind, even when she's so mad. Right? Another <laughs> child is trying to to work the first time I ask to do something, the first time I ask her to do it. Right. And so they, you know, we talked about these different battles that they faced and then we worked with them one on one trying to help them do that. But it all stems, you know, we like, you know, we kick it off through one of these initial family home evening lessons or come follow me lessons. Um, and then it becomes more individual. 
Okay, those are those are some great examples. Um, I just that's that's really what I want to um, help us understand that sometimes we get frustrated as parents when our lessons don't um, turn out the way that we had envisioned them. We have this vision of how fun it's going to be or what they're going to learn, and um, when you are dealing with a multiplicity of learning styles, it's very difficult to reach all of them in one setting. And while I believe that it's very important that we do this, this is this is something that we should continue to do because there is value in it. If we are beating ourselves up because our lessons are not turning out the way that we think they are they should, and we don't feel like our kids are getting out of them what we think they should, um, we're forgetting the other half of this, I don't know why I just, the other half of the donut. I don't know why I was thinking of a donut, but we're only eating half of it. Okay, <laughs> there's this whole other half that we can capitalize on and that we should be capitalizing on as we go throughout the weeks that we can help our children have these one-on-one experience because that is how Christ taught. He would introduce something with the Beatitudes, but then he was actually going and talking to the people and showing them um, what it was like to bear one another's burdens and to um, be forgiven and to not judge. Um, and so as, as we give our children opportunities to come to understand those principles in their own way and in their, their own style, um, those lessons are going to be remembered and those lessons are going to stick. So I don't want you to feel bad if your family lessons aren't as stellar as you think they should. You'll just think, you know what? This is just step one. We've got lots more steps to go. Well, and I'll just add that that's also why I love the monthly thing. Because over the, you know, we say that ideally you'd have this lesson and then you'd have these individual experiences throughout the week. And the next week you'd repeat it. Um, But the truth is, is that some weeks you can't get there. You just mm-hmm. can't. And that's one reason why I love having a theme for the whole month. Because over the course of a month, there will be plenty of opportunities to have these personal experiences, to have these lessons. And I can, over the course of a month, we can talk, you know, I can have conversations that target my older kids and conversations that target my younger kids and stories um, throughout the month that all center around this one idea. Um, so while, anyway, and there's there, there's other podcast episodes more about this, but the that's one of the reasons that I love having a theme over the month and it has to do with just, I, I can, I can focus better over the course of a month, there will be opportunities to learn and to grow um, and to implement and to act. And actually one of the really mo- um important factors when we are teaching our children is this idea of repetition, is that they need something over and over and over again. In fact, I don't know that it's just children. I think it's it's people in general. As just this week of I've been reading about Samuel the Lamanite and um and his prophecy, um, you know, the prophecy was given and then People thought, oh, it didn't happen, and so they're going to start persecuting people. And then the, the signs came, and so many people believed in those signs. They said, oh, there, you know, there are more people that believed in the signs than those that didn't. But over the next several years, as Christ was preaching and teaching 
in Jerusalem, the people forgot. The people forgot those signs, and the people forgot the wonderful prophecy of Samuel the Lamanite. And by the time that Jesus was nearing the end of his ministry, the people in the Americas had forgotten about Jesus. And they had started to turn away from the the things that they had been doing that were right to begin with. And that's why I think it's so important that we continue to uh, repeat the things over and over again. It's for whatever reason, our little mortal minds are so uh, short-memoried that it takes a lot of focus to to really ingrain this. And this is why I think it's important that we can't repeat it too many times. We just have to keep after it. And that's what um, a monthly theme does for our kids. And then every year, we, you know, we're going to repeat the same principles and the same themes over and over and over again, but in different ways. And it's going to be meaningful in different ways, because your kids grow and we grow. And what it means to you today is going to be different to how it means to you tomorrow. Yeah. So let's just recap kind of what we talked about here. First of all, we understand how kids learn. We understand that young kids learn by doing. Older kids learn with their mind. They want to be engaged with their thoughts and their speaking abilities. You can handle both by having the younger kids do something active while the older kids discuss or answer questions. You can think about how you can engage different members of your family throughout your lesson by understanding how they learn. Um, but remember that the real learning happens throughout the week and not just during that lesson. There's that individual component that that needs to happen as well for that learning to really sink deep into their hearts. Um, some lessons are going to cater towards the older kids. Some lessons are going to uh, cater to the younger kids. But remember, it's not one lesson. It doesn't need to engage everyone all the time. You want to try to include as much as possible, but be willing to to remember your objective. What is my objective here? My objective is to teach my children. And I can do that in a variety of ways and a variety of times. Well, that's great. So um, I think we'll end with that and we'll talk to all of you guys next week. Bye, everybody.